You're listening to the Faith Unpacked Podcast. Welcome back to the Faith Unpacked Podcast with Jamie and Jason. Today we are looking at the question of justification. And we're going to be asking this question, why, first of all, what is it according to scripture and why does it matter for the average Christian? Of course, not to say that average Christians don't uh, or shouldn't care about theology in general. They should. But I think typically, Jamie, when people hear words like justification or propitiation or words like that, uh, we talked a little bit about this last week, that sometimes there's just a little bit of a, a an allergy to theological terms, and which really this is a biblical word, you know, to justify. So it does matter that we think biblically about it. But it's also important for us to see that this is a teaching from Scripture that works out in incredible ways practically in your life, where when you have a good grasp that you are justified in Christ, that changes how you live. That changes how you do your relationships. It changes how you think about your marriage struggles, how you think about uh, all kinds of challenges in life. If you are secure in this doctrine, if you understand it well, it has a transforming effect. So it's important for us to know anyway, but it's good to know that God invites us into the joy of theology, the joy of justification from his word. And Jamie, as I think about justification, typically I think about the misunderstandings that come up. Much like the Trinity, which we talked about last week, there are so many false understandings of what justification is. And and, and the only reason I can say false, the only basis I have for saying that is if it clearly doesn't align with what God has revealed in scripture, with the special revelation he's given us, then we have to say that's that's false. That's not true. And it's not arrogant. It's not, it's not my religion's better than your religion kind of mindset. It is simply, we care about the truth. We want people to know the truth of the gospel, that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And we don't want to pretend that differences don't matter. And so very often, Justification comes up in dialogues between uh, Protestants or evangelicals and Catholics. And and Roman Catholics have a different view of justification, just plain and simple. It's, it's better that we acknowledge it and not try to avoid that than pretend we're all thinking the same thing. Um, and, and in the same way, there are many other false understandings of justification among evangelicals, among Protestants, and there are, uh, again, false understandings of it in different cults. And so I think just laying out a good definition for it at the beginning is a good place to start. So justification is the declaration of God, who is our judge, that we are righteous. That's what it means to justify, to declare that someone is righteous. Now, if if you think about it in just the legal setting, when 
someone is standing before a judge and say they've been accused of some heinous crime, but then new evidence is is revealed and it and it now has become clear, oh, this person could not have done what was what was falsely charged against them. Um, the the judge is the one who pronounces, I have I I I declare or I deem this person is not guilty of the charges. Not guilty. And and that's similar, very similar to what we'd call justification. But there's even more to it than that because it's not just a declaration of not guilty, it's a declaration of righteous. It's a positive affirmation, not just a negative affirmation. And so as I look at scripture, I think beginning with the gospel of John is a is a good place to see that, um, or excuse me, the gospel of Luke, that this is something that Jesus talked about. It's something that comes up definitely in the Apostle Paul's writings and Romans and Galatians in particular and other places too. But wherever it's talked about, it's it's explained as something that God is the one who is originating. It's not as though someone uh, is declaring themselves to be just before God. That That is not what justification is. And it's not the church declaring someone is just and righteous. It's something that God declares. And that's that's really important. We'll come back to why that is later in this episode, but it is something that God declares first and foremost. So in Luke 18, we read about this tax collector and Pharisee parable that Jesus gives. And at the very beginning, it says in verse 9 of, of Luke 18, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Okay, so this is a very uh, pointed <laughs> parable, we could say, because there are religious scholars and Pharisees surrounding Jesus. He's interacting with them, and he Jesus knows the heart of every man. He, John 2 says he knows what is in each person. He knows that these guys are trusting in themselves that they are righteous. That's important because trusting in anything other than Christ is not going to result in true justification. And so they're trusting in themselves that they were righteous. And then he gives this, this parable where the, the Pharisee is praying and he's, he's, he's even thanking God. He says, you know, I thank you, God. And then he looks over this tax collector in the corner. I thank you that I am not like this tax collector uh, or, or uh, others like this tax collector. And he says um, that he does all these things. He fasts twice a week. He tithes. He does all these amazing things. He lists off to God like, hey, God, remember all these things that I've done. Thank you. Thank you for maybe thank you for helping me do these things. And the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus concludes this parable by saying, I tell you, this man, talking about the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified, declared righteous, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So in this parable, 
we're not given a full orbed description of what justification is, but it's important to see that Jesus did talk about it. He did talk about there's this is directed to those who trusted in themselves. And he gives the example of this Pharisee who does trust in himself because he's thanking God for all the things that God has helped him to do. And the tax collector, basically, the summary of his statement is, I've got nothing to bring to you, God. Just be merciful. That is, the, that is my only cry is be merciful to me, a sinner. And so he goes home justified. And, and this, this would be very odd if you're a Pharisee listening to this parable. You're thinking, this doesn't make any sense. This, this tax collector, this guy who has lived off swindling and cheating others and lying and stealing, and who knows if he's given any tithes, probably not given the right amount because his money's all tainted. He's the one who goes home justified. That doesn't make any sense. Why would this pe- person be declared righteous? And Jamie, this gets down to the, the root of our justification. The, the basis of our justification has to be someone else. It cannot be what we have done. It cannot be ourselves. If we trust in ourselves, then according to this parable, we will not go home justified. We will not be justified in God's sight because we are, in a sense, telling God, look at my record at what I have done and make make a declaration of righteousness based on that. And the tax collector didn't have anything to boast about. He didn't have any record to hold up. All he could do was say, I'm a sinner, and he's asking for mercy. And so when he trusts in God, he is pointing to what the justified person must look like. He is he is trusting in something outside of himself, not in himself. And and this is the the it's good for us to understand this is something that Jesus talked about because some people will say Paul came along and sort of had his new ideas, but it's there in Jesus's words, and not just in the Gospel of Luke here, but in the other gospels as well. But it's okay for us to admit that Paul gives a more full-orbed explanation of what justification is because that's what Jesus said he was going to do. He was going to send his Holy Spirit, and there was going to be more truths given to the apostles after his ascension. So we shouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah, it's true, Jason. I think I think it also completely uh, negates or neglects the rest of biblical teaching, right? This idea, if I can justify myself, then, then, well, then we really have a problem. And the problem is, why the gospel, right? Why the work of Jesus on the cross? Why any of that? I mean, literally, to a degree, you could argue, why the Bible at all, right? If I can justify myself, then what's, what's the deal? right? What's the, uh, what's the point? And, and of course, it ignores what so much of Scripture teaches, which is obviously that we cannot justify ourselves, that we cannot bring about our own salvation. I mean, a pretty commonly known one is like Ephesians chapter 2, you know, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that you cannot boast. 
And then, of course, that point is drove home even more profoundly in Galatians chapter 2, where at the end of the chapter, it says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. That is to say, Jason, that like literally in the words of the Apostle Paul, if you can save yourself, then Christ is an idiot. I mean, literally, right? But it also actually weakens the result of what is actually necessary and what Christ actually did. And I think that's important, Jason, to, uh, because I think a lot of people tell the gospel story of love uh, that, you know, God, who is absolutely loving and doesn't want anybody to go to hell, that God just says, okay, you know what? You're cool. We're good. It's all good. We'll just ignore the sin. I mean, literally, that's the force and effect of most gospel teaching, right? And in that case, it's like, well, yeah, me being a good person just kind of makes sense, right? If God's just like, hey, I get you, bro. You're good. You know, it's all good. Then I actually can do a pretty decent job of saving myself uh, before that kind of God. The problem, of course, is that isn't the God that the Bible talks about, right? God is a, a God of love. Yes, right? Love is not something God does. It's something he is. But God is also a righteous God and a just God and a holy God. And guess what? That God cannot overlook sin. And he does not overlook sin. And so what is very important to understand in relationship to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, what was accomplished? Well, first of all, for humans to be forgiven sin from a biblical perspective, it has to be a human, right? Some human has to take the place of a human. We see that in two forms. One is the promise, right? So you look at um, Romans 5 really speaks to that. This idea that there will be this new Adam, right? This perfect Adam that uh, is the one who atones for sin. And you also see that in like Hebrews chapter 10, where the sacrifice of bulls and goats is insufficient to cover human sin. And this is one thing I think, Jason, that confuses people a lot. If you ask, I think most people, especially, well, we'll say most Christians, um, what was accomplished by the sacrifice of bulls and goats, they would say, I think, something like, oh, temporary atonement until Jesus came, right? No, that's not what was accomplished. In fact, they had no atoning power at all. In fact, nothing in relationship to the forgiveness of sin was accomplished by the sacrifice of bulls and goats and all the offerings. So why did we do it? Well, we did it to to be reminded, to recognize that sin has a cost and that cost requires atonement, right? God cannot overlook sin. He can't. He's holy and righteous and just. At the same time, to atone for sin, if it was a human atoning for a human sin, then one person would have to die for my one sin. Problem is, I would sin again. And then what happens? Well, now somebody else has to die, right? So the other thing the Bible teaches us is that real atonement can actually only come from God. God alone 
is the one who can atone for human sin. And he makes that statement as well, lots of times. Uh, an example of that is like Isaiah 43, 10 and 11, where we're told that God alone is the means by which salvation comes about. And so, okay, fully God, fully human. So we see that Jesus did that. Is that all Jesus did on the cross? Well, no. Uh, Jesus also actually dealt with the full wrath of God. It's the, the theological terms we use is to say that Jesus expiated and propitiated, right? He, he did these two things. So expiation is to deal with the wrath, right? He actually, he actually atoned. There was actually a punishment paid, right? There was actually that accomplished and then propitiated, restored in relationship to. So for justification to happen, there has to be expiation and propitiation, which results in justification, right? And, and, and so that is the full biblical picture of what Jesus' work on the cross accomplished. So not only could you not do that by your human act, action or activity, but you couldn't even come close to doing any of that, right? Yeah, and I think it's just important for us to like recognize that the need to be right before God, it, it, this is not like a Christian-only idea. If you look at every religion out there, there is this obvious basis that says, I need to somehow make myself good. I need to somehow make myself righteous. And, you know, with, with Hinduism, we'll take a very, very different religion, but, it, you know, the Eastern religion of Hinduism, reincarnation is based on how did you live in this present life or how did you live in the former life to get to this life? It's all about, are you living a righteous life, right? It, sure, it looks different because their view of the afterlife is different, but it still is this idea that I need to, in myself, be righteous, right? And and you look at any of the other quasi-Christian religions like, um, well, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, they all say uh, that you must be righteous in yourself to be justified before God. And and so just to take a look at this, this is so that I'm not putting words in the mouths of what, what Catholics would say. Um, this is from the Council of Trent, which it, it should be clear, this, this Council of Trent has never been revoked by the Roman Catholic Church. They've never said, eh, we decide we are now in disagreement with that. No, they, they've, they've affirmed it all the way through the, the centuries. Uh, but this, from the 16th century, this is what the Council of Trent said. If anyone says that the justice received is not preserved and also not increased before God through good works, but that those works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not the cause of its increase, let him be anathema. So you can't get clearer than that. Anathema, the sentence to condemnation and hell. If what we are saying is exactly what the Council of Trent says, let them be anathema, essentially, because we are saying it's not our works it's not the fruit of our salvation, which Christians are called to good works, of course, as they are transformed by Christ and, and to live obedient to him as their Lord. But 
they are never the basis for our justification. But this says in the Council of Trent's words, anyone who says that justice is received, that the justice received is not preserved and also not increased before God through good works. In other words, justification in the Roman Catholic view is actually synonymous with sanctification, that it's this progressive thing that the more good works, the more you are living in line with the church's teachings and obedience, then you are increasing, you're becoming more justified. You're increasing in justification. And, and Christians make a very, I should say, Protestant Christians, to be clear, make a very clear distinction between justification and sanctification. Justification is a once-for-all declaration. That is at the moment of conversion through faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone, you are declared righteous because of him, because of his record, because of his righteousness being imputed to your account, credited over to your account. It's never on the basis of anything we have done, anything we bring to the table, just like that tax collector in the parable. All we're doing is saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. But with, with the Roman, Catholic, Roman Catholicism teaching, this is something that increases over time. So it's, it's got to be based on our good works because basically the Roman Catholic would say, you may be in a state of justification right now because of baptism and because of uh, joining the church and, and, and faith. It, and it's important to say Roman Catholics don't say faith doesn't matter or that Christ doesn't matter. They, they would say that the grace of Christ is mediated through the sacraments. So in other words, I can't be justified without baptism. That's why, I mean, you ask, what, why would they baptize infants? Well, this is literally what they believe is this is scrubbing out original sin. When you are baptized in the church by the priest, that is, the, they call it the, the uh, labor of regeneration because it is to be the cause of regeneration and and justification. Now, the difference is not only can you increase in justification through your good works, you can decrease. You can lose justification through uh, what the Roman Catholic Church calls mortal sins. Mortal sins can take you out of a state of grace and and leave you now unjustified. But let let me just read from the Bible because I want you to see how different this teaching is from what we see simply in Scripture. First of all, in Galatians 2, Paul is dealing with this specific issue where people are trying to add to Christ, add to the righteousness of Christ to make make themselves more justified, we could say. And this is what Paul says. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. I mean, Paul says it three different ways. He, he says like the negative and then the positive that three different times, it's justification comes through faith in Christ. It doesn't come through works of the law. And he, he makes it so abundantly clear in that one verse, we do not add to our justification through works. We don't uh, through right living, through obedience to a church or anything like that. It's only through faith in Christ. 
And, and even then, we would say the basis of that justification is Christ all the way. All that faith does is it grabs hold of Christ. It clings to Christ, who is the righteous one. But then you look over at Romans 4, and, and Jamie, this is one where I think this is even more clear, actually, because it it pits works against faith so sharply. And it uses the example of Abraham. Romans 4, 4 says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Because he's just said, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So if you if you work, then you receive wages. If it's a gift, then it's it's not wages. It's not what you earned. And then verse 5, and to the one who does not work. That's important. Who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. You see, what Paul's doing there is he's making it abundantly clear that right that works can't have any any at all measure or any at all uh, it can add nothing to our righteous standing because it's apart from works that God counts righteousness. It would be one thing if it said something like. God counts righteousness before works and works completes it or something like that. That's kind of the Roman Catholic view. But God counts righteousness apart from works. They're not even in the equation. And and right before that, he says, it's the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. And we could look at that and say, that is so strange. Again, same thing with the tax collector being declared are going home justified it's so strange for the average person to read that god declares righteous the ungodly and and we would think isn't this isn't this almost even a a, a damage to god's character that he would declare the unrighteous to be righteous and the answer is the only way this can be the case is if it's not the ungodly person's record that is being looked at. If that were the case, yeah, they are condemned. But it's because it's Christ's righteous record. It's his life, his death, that is the substitution. That's why the ungodly can be declared righteous. Yeah, it's a, <clears throat> it's a great point, Jason. And I think it's important to note, too, that what tends to happen, so, okay, we laid out, that your justification has nothing to do with your works or your effort. That's like Jason pointed out, that's a thing we call sanctification. That's the, the Lord working uh, his power out through you so that you can be conformed into the image of Christ, right? That that's the process there, which also means that for any sanctification to happen, we absolutely must be connected to the Lord. It's by his power that it happens. So it's not one of those things where, again, it's like, oh, my justification, uh, just like my, or my sanctification, just like my justification, same sort of thing. It's by the power of the Lord that these things happen. But, but it is important, Jason, in this conversation to point out that while the Bible is very clear 
how justification happens. And of course, we receive it by faith. It's not by our works. And all of that's very clear. That doesn't mean that we don't care about sin. And that's really important too. And that's one of the things the the Catholic Church criticizes uh, the Protestant Church for, is they'd say, well, you give people a license to sin because you're saying the justification is based on Christ's record, not yours. And if you're in Christ, if that justification has been applied to you, then you can do whatever and it doesn't matter. That's not the case. Uh, and, And in fact, the Apostle Paul directly challenges that notion in Romans chapter 6, where he asks the question, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound all the more? Basically, once justified, why not just sin as much as I want? And of course, Paul's answer is absolutely not. In fact, if you're asking that question, you've 100% not listened to anything I've said up to this point. So go back, start over, reread it. Uh, It does matter as people who have died with Christ is where Paul goes on in in, uh, Romans chapter 6. You know, we've been we've died with Christ. We've been buried with Christ and we're new in Christ, which means there's a new man. There's a regenerate self. And our desire, the more I understand the work of Christ on my behalf, the more I desire to live a righteous life, right? The more I desire to not sin, the more I desire God's good for me. And uh, so we're not at all saying that justification renders sin useless. And of course, we'd say just because God justified does not mean that God took away the consequence of sin, right? Sin still has consequence, and you still will feel the consequence of that sin in your life. Justification does not take that away. Yes, you'll still be in the presence of the Lord, even if you, let's say you did legitimately give your heart to the Lord and just continue sinning. Now, of course, I don't, I don't think that's really possible. The Bible is pretty clear that if you're in Christ, you have a desire for to get away from sin and and to the Lord, right? You have a desire to be different. You have a desire to not do those things. That isn't to say we ever are perfect, this side of heaven, but it is to say that there is actual legitimate desire and there's legitimate grief, right? I I don't want to sin even when I do sin. Uh, That's not who I am anymore. That's not what my desire is anymore, uh, there's the regenerate part of me that says, no, I want to, I want to walk in the, the uh, glory of God. And I want my sin not to be in the way of that or to affect that or to disrupt that or to, um, you know, in, any of those sorts of things. And so <clears throat> keeping that balance in mind, we're definitely not saying certainly that sin does not matter. Right. And I think what's often brought up in this conversation, and in fact, I've talked with um, some Mormon guys, Mormon missionaries about this, and they bring up James 2 often. And James 2, they they will go right to uh, James 2, 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So they would say, look, right there, it's very clear, not by faith alone. 
But we need to understand context. Context is so important for understanding scripture. If we're not looking at the full context, we'll miss what's being said here. And, and I, I will want to walk them back. And let's read from the very beginning because Paul, or excuse me, James in this passage, first of all, James is not going to contradict Paul. We have to understand this is God's word. It's not man-made wisdom. So why would we pit James against Paul anyway? But when he first talks about it, he says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, back in verse 17. And he's talked about the person who, who uh, you know, if one comes and uh, he, he says, I, I have faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? Well, the rhetorical answer, or it's a rhetorical question, of course not. You know, if somebody comes to you poorly clothed and is, or is sick or hurting, and you say, oh, yeah, go in peace, be warmed, you know, and not actually doing anything for them, not actually giving them food when they're hungry. There's no evidence of love. There's no evidence that you have a living faith. What you've got there is, is a dead faith. There are no vital signs of works because a, a true faith in Christ, a living faith in Christ, is always going to show good works. And see, you'll see this other places in Scripture where it will say, uh, the, and you will know them by their works, right? So it's something you can, you can even witness. You can see it in people's lives. Um, and, and I would walk them through verse 22 also where it says, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works when Abraham offered up Isaac. And then it quotes, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So right there, James is affirming that it was through faith in God, faith in God's provision at the time, that Abraham was declared righteous. It wasn't through his works. It wasn't through offering up Isaac that he was declared righteous before God. But you see, that's important. And this is what people often miss. James wasn't using the modern vernacular where we say things like, you see, I uh, went to the store the other day and I, and here's what happened. No, he's saying, you see, like, this is how, you know, you see. And then when you get to the, that next passage or the next verse, you see that a person is justified by works. He's not saying, look guys, there's the, here's the deal. A person is justified by works. No, he's saying, you see that a person is justified by their works. That's how you know. You see it and not by faith alone. So in other words, you can't see someone's faith. I can't see Jamie's faith. He can't see mine, but I can see the evidence of his life. He can see the evidence of my life. And that's that's how we can we can see that someone is justified in that sense. It's, it's an expression of our living faith. So absolutely. In fact, way back at the Reformation, when the Protestants Protestant movement first began, the, the reformers made it very clear that the, safe, the, the faith that, that alone saves is never uh, alone. In other words, it's never um, without the fruit of good works. Um, and, and I think I just butchered what Martin Luther actually said. I think it was, uh, we are saved, we're justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. There we go. Um, in other words, true faith in Christ does justify, and that alone is our justification because it's in Christ. But that faith will always, because it's in Christ, it will be accompanied by good works. And, and it's important for us to affirm that because if people, 
think, oh, you're saying that people can just live whatever way they want. You know, I, I get to sin freely. I got, a, I got a license to sin since I got my justification card. That's not how it works. You cannot be, in fact, if you are justified, we could say it this way, if you have been justified, you will be sanctified. You will be. And that's a progressive growth in holiness. That is not a um, making ourselves more righteous at the bar of God's judgment. That's already been settled with justification. But sanctification, we are becoming more and more like Christ from that point forward. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith Unpacked podcast. We're so thankful for your time. We hope and pray that these encourage your faith and walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to hear past episodes, you can find them on our website at faithunpacked.com. We'd also invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcasting site. If you have any questions, feel free to hit us up on social media, or you can send us an email at faithunpacked@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And we invite you back next time as we continue to unpack our faith together. <laughs>